0: Welcome, this talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So welcome once again to Insight LA's... Insight LA Long Beach Sunday Sit. This is a... um, Celebratory day for us is it? uh, It is a two-year anniversary, uh, and I want to bring. Can you come up, everyone? You don't mind. So this is our two-year anniversary of uh, coming here to Sacred Roots. So we've been having Sunday sit here. Yeah, every Sunday, two two years, so quite amazing, and yeah. So thank you for uh, to all of you who make this happen and to make this a community, which is the most important piece. And thank you to Wendy uh, for coming on board too. As as many of you know, sh- uh, Wendy and I share the the responsibilities, and you know, it's a lot of work and and a lot of love and awesomeness. So. As I say, when Casey likes to answer all the emails, or write emails, and he writes, just love, mm-hmm. he should really write, just love and elbow grease. <laughs> it's not just love. There's so much hard work on his behalf to create a community, and um, selflessly, and without um, bragging, you know, just very, with humility, he's really um, put so much hard work into um, this community and this SIT. So, uh, thank you. Thank you to Casey for all that hard work. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about women in Buddhism. And uh, there's a lot of different layers to this. I really didn't know how to approach it. I think just want to show you, tell you my intention, first of all, to sharing this and that. My intention in sharing about women in Buddhism is that it's kind of one of of those things that we just need to talk about, (laughs) we need to be aware of. Uh, And I think this goes for maybe a lot of different religions, and Buddhism is no exception, that there is a discrepancy in the celebration and um, and equality of of women in Buddhism. And we're at a time now where women women teachers, uh, women nuns, uh, it, it, is a, it is so fruitful right now for all of us and that we should really take advantage of it because historically this hasn't been the case. And so I want to just talk a little bit about the history of it and and bringing that awareness to the table how we could really take advantage and make sure it doesn't happen again, take advantage of the time that we live in. It's quite amazing. For me personally, very close to my heart, most of my closest teachers are all women. I definitely have a teachers that I consider, like you know, my guru or whatever, uh, that, that are male. But most of the download of knowledge came from Tibetan Buddhist nuns. When I lived at the centers, I lived at centers for just about six years. And and in those centers, we had five directors, all of them women, that ran the centers. And most of the, the teachers were Western Tibetan Buddhist nuns. And we'd have these amazing llamas come in, these male llamas come in and do these great teachings too. They'd come and go, but the resident teachers were women, and they would teach all year long. They were just there teaching the whole time. And the beautiful part of it, they were teaching in a language that I understood, not going through a translator. Most of the Tibetans would go through a translator for one they, lived, they spoke my language, lived my culture, very relatable, and they had an amazing practice. Now back historically, this wouldn't be the case, where they were fully ordained, they were given all the secret teachings, Ben Bolton's and Chogi, which we hope to get here next year, when I first met her, she just came out of six years of silent retreat. Phenomenal. Amazing, Vinable Ninja did 12 years of retreat, amazing. Vinable Rabina would come and actually she's came a couple times here to Orange County. One of the earliest ordained monastics in America. She was one of the first ever ordained monastics um, in the Tibetan lineage. So incredible knowledge and historically These individuals would not even be allowed to be fully ordained. They wouldn't be allowed uh, entrance to all of the classical teachings. Uh, They wouldn't obviously be allowed to teach, all, all these things. So we'll talk a little bit about what happened there. But it's important to know. So one of the interesting things... About this, especially in Tibetan Buddhism, is that when Buddhism came to Tibet, it came through the way of Padma Sambaba, And he's also, uh, I'll just use his, he's also called Guru Rinpoche. And this is the eighth century Guru Rinpoche. I'll just say that's easier. And his first student was Yeshi Soigal, who was a woman. And she became fully enlightened. And she's probably the most prolific and important characters in all of Tibetan Buddhism. So it's interesting and again we're going to go into it a little bit about what happened. But it's interesting that the the first embodiment of of Buddhism in Tibet specifically came in this in this partnership between Guru Rinpoche and Yeshi Soigal. So this 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 completely equal of you know, parts here. And then after that it became very male dominated. And so Yeshi Soigal, she was born a princess. And at the time of her birth, there were many auspicious signs. Just signs that people knew that this being being born was of special quality. And legend has it that by 10 years old, she was already full grown and she was exquisitely beautiful, just amazingly beautiful. She was so beautiful that people would come from India, Mongolia, Nepal, just to, just to look at her, just to see her. She was that beautiful. She was like an emanation too. And she already had cities, which are the, some powers. She already exhibited some powers. And so when she was going to be married off, you know, her father, the king, wanted to marry her off, she refused. And one of her cities is, uh, I don't know the technical term, it's a, it's a form of yogic flying. And Milarepa had this too. They could run really fast. <laughs> so she could run really fast. It's like the f- this, 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 flight of foot, they call it, like, flight of foot. It's interesting, there's videos of Dal- Dalai Lama talking about the yogic flying, have you ever seen this? Mm-hmm. He talks about yogis flying through the valleys of Tibet when he was a kid, it's really interesting. a form of yogic flying, but she would run away, so she would just run really fast, she would run away. But eventually she did marry a king And she stayed with him for a while until Guru Rinpoche came to Tibet. And when Guru Rinpoche came, he clairvoyantly knew about her. And so he asked the king if she can come live with him and become his student. And the king agreed, thankfully. And so Guru Rinpoche just took her and they went to do secret practices and he downloaded everything to her. And one of the cities she had was perfect memory. So She had perfect memory. And so she transcribed all of the teachings. And they knew together, her and Rinpoche knew that these teachings had to be unraveled throughout time. So not all the teachings could be disseminated during that historical time. This is eighth century, right? They needed to roll it out. So what they did is they created this. Um, well, it's called the treasure revealer lineage. And so they had 108 Mahasiddhas, these great enlightened beings, that chose to actually reveal the teachings throughout time. And Yeshi Soigal. Would inscribe the teachings and literally put them into stone. Or did her caves and there's also some teachings that she put into the ethers, into the Akashic, into the into space, right? And these would be revealed throughout time. I know it sounds really mystical, like, oh really, dude. <laughs> but It actually is still going on today. So those beings, those 108 beings at that time, all agreed to incarnate, if you believe in such things, throughout time and actually be present historically. And this is still happening. So I've met actual treasure revealers that are revealing treasures in our lifetime. So what happens usually is they're meditating and they will get a vision and they will call upon the sangha and say we have a new teaching (laughs) coming our way and it's over here and it'll be a ceremony. They'll come and they'll go into a cave a rock and they will pull out a teaching and a lot of times it's written in what they call Dakini script so she wrote it in a certain language but it's from Yeshi Sogol. I know it sounds fantastical but it's true. And they will actually receive A teaching for our time. And a lot of practice that we actually practice in Tibetan Buddhism have been revealed in such a way. And it's all because of Yeshi Soigal. And now sometimes she does come in a pure vision and she will disseminate it that way. So that's a a different type of revealing. It's quite interesting. So, what happened? So, after her, (coughs) for about 2,000 years, uh, the Buddhist teaching has largely been uh, transmitted through a male lineage. And how many of you know Tenzin Palmo? How many of you have read this Amazing spiritual classic, Cave in the Snow. Mm. Nobody? Mm. Okay. You go home. <laughs> go on Amazon <laughs> or whatever and, and order this book. It's absolutely amazing. So, Tinson Palmo, she was born in 1964 in London, and she read a book on Buddhism. And she knew that was it. She's like, I'm I'm Tibetan Buddhist. I know it. I'm Tibetan Buddhist. And uh, how many of you know Choigum Chumpa? Shambhala, you ever heard the word Shambhala? So he, yeah. So she actually met Choigum Chumpa too. And he was a nobody back then. And he actually hit on her several times, which he's known to, to do, you know, he's a crazy wisdom teacher, you know. And he was actually trying to woo her too. He said, you know us Tibetan lamas were really powerful. We could do powerful things. And she's like, oh, yeah, really? really neat. And she's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, we can make it rain. We can make it wherever we want. We can make it rain. And she said that one day he did. She went to her house. I think it was her house. I think it's in this book, I think. And he, it was raining just above her house. He's like, oh, look at what I could do. <laughs> but she never fell for it, right? But she met Chungam Chupa who became an amazing Lama here in the United States, really incredible. And at 20 years old, she moved to India to become a nun. And before that, she had ran into the Dalai Lama before she became ordained. And he said, hello, Ani. And she had no idea what that meant. And so after the meeting, She was asking somebody, what? He called me Ani? My name's not Ani. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he said, no, that means you're ordained. That's what we call the nuns, like Ani laws. The Dalai Lama already knew that she would become ordained. So she became ordained, and she went to live and work with a 100 monks. She was the only female practitioner, the only one. And she couldn't even live with them. Technically, she had to live off property. So she would work there all day, and she wouldn't work with them, and she wouldn't practice with them. She actually had to work as a secretary to the, to her teacher and, and then go home at night. And then her guru gave her a teacher that wouldn't actually teach her, like all the actual practices. So there she was just getting more and more angry. And she knew that if she was male, then she would get all the teachings, right? And so this, you know, dates back to the Buddha's time. In Buddha's time, one of the first ordained nuns in Buddha's time was his aunt, who actually uh, acted as his um, stepmother. And his aunt... Was ordained the Buddha. um, When asked, he actually declined at first, but then ordained her, and she had like five hundred followers, right? All all nuns. And at that time, he said that she would be ordained as long as she uh, would would adhere to what they call the eight conditions. And the eight conditions were were very chauvinistic. They were like, you need to sit behind um, the ordained monks. And there was another one. This is an example of one of the um, the eight conditions. A nun who has been ordained even for 100 years must greet respectfully, rise up from her seat, salute with joined palms, do proper homage to a monk ordained but that day. Mm. Awesome, right? Yes yeah so most of the scholars believe Buddha didn't say that, but like many of the texts, they were used by males who in power to sway uh, to to basically do what they want to do, which is on the show. It is very unfortunate so Tenzin Palmo, being in this, having such a zeal for the Dharma, she wants the teachings so bad, she's willing to do absolutely anything for them, and she's getting stumped every single part of the way. She moves to India, she gets ordained, but she's not getting the teachings. So I'm going to read you a a little bit about what she's going through here and her frustration. I once visited, I once visited to a nunnery where the nuns had just come back from hearing a high Lama teach. He had told them women were impure and had an inferior body. They were so depressed and this was a very common thought. Their self image was so low. How can you build a genuine spiritual practice when you're being told from all sides that you're worthless? At one point I asked a very high Lama if he thought women could realize Buddhahood. And he replied that they could go all the way to the last second and then would have to, (laughs) it sounds so funny to say, and then would have to change to a male body. Mm. You can imagine that. And I said, what is it about a penis that is so essential for becoming enlightened? Right? What is it about the male body that is so incredible? She asked, forthright as ever. And then I asked if there's any advantage in having a female form he said he would go away and think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. The next day he came back and said, I've been thinking about it. The answer is no. There's no advantages whatsoever. I thought, this is Tenzin Palm. I thought one advantage is we don't have a male ego. <laughs> <laughs> Urged on her... Urged on by her own unhappiness and the blatant unfairness of it all, Tenzin Pomo began to research the reasoning for this loathing of the female body. Her findings were illuminating. The Buddha never denied that women can be enlightened. She said, "In the early sutras, the Buddha talked about 32 points of the body which would be to med- to be meditated upon in depth. The medita- meditator had to visualize peeling." This is a very common teaching, especially in Tibetan Buddhism. It's a little gross, but just bear with it for a moment. <laughs> they had to visualize peeling the skin off to examine what was really there, the guts, the blood, the pus, the, pus, the waste matter. The Buddha's purpose was twofold, to create detachment from the, our obsession with our own body and to lessen our attraction to other people's body. So it's a way of an attachment. You know? the, the idea is that one is less fascinated when one sees a skeleton stuffed with guts and blood. However, the writings later change. When you get to Nagarjuna, who wrote in the first century AD in Shantideva, the object of contemplation has turned specifically to a woman's body. The meditator now has to see the woman's body as impure. The Buddha, truly enlightened, saw things as they Really were. Others, however, used the Buddha's insights to serve their own purpose. Mm-hmm. So, rather than looking at our identification and obsession with the physical, the Buddha's teachings were used as a means of arousing disgust towards women. If you have a, mon- a monastic setup, it is useful to view women as the enemy, she at- added pointedly. The idea that women were dangerous, wiling men away from sanctity and salvation by their seductiveness and rampant sexuality. (laughs) It was as old as the fable of Eve herself. Tenzin Palmo was having none of it. Really? It's not the woman who is creating this problem, it's the man's mental defilements. If the man didn't have desire and passion, nothing the woman could do would cause him any problem at all. She said, once a Lama accused me of being seductive and causing him difficulty. (laughs) I was aghast. I'm not doing anything. It's your own mind. I protested. He laughed and admitted it was true. Mm -hmm. This reminds me of a Beavis and Butthead (laughs) uh, episode, where Beavis and Butthead take this girl to court for sexual harassment. And uh, so she goes on, you know, she goes to testify. And as soon as she gets up there, they go, look it, she's doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> <Look at> her. <laughs> her presence was causing them, it was like sexual harassment, right? <laughs> just like this, yeah. just like her presence, right? So it was being skewed. And there was, there was this meeting of this Lama, this really amazing Lama woman. And she told the Dalai Lama was there, a lot of the high male Lamas. She says, I want you to all close your eyes. And I want you to visualize yourself walking into a gampa, which is a meditation room. And I want you to visualize that all the deities and all those golden Buddhas that you see all around the room are all female. And then I want you to visualize that the entire lineage, all female, that I want you to visualize yourself being told to sit behind all the women, all the nuns. And you go sit behind all the nuns because your body is impure. Right? To the Dai Lama, everybody. Okay. And now open up your eyes. And they open up their eyes with a whole new view on what is happening, <laughs> right? Now, I brought the lineage tree. This is, this is the lineage tree of Tenzin Palmo. Her and I share the same lineage, both Tibetan Kagyu lineage. It's four schools of Buddhism. Tibetan Buddhism, one's a Kagyu lineage. She's a Kagyu uh, nun. This is a lineage tree. all dudes it's all men right we have the Dakinis here the Dakinis like the Yeshi Sogal here disseminating all the knowledge the, the Dakinis are uh, feminine aspects or feminine deities and they actually have given the majority of all the teachings to the lineage we talked about a couple weeks ago we talked about Talopa Naropa Gompopa Milarepa well, there's Talopa, there's Melarepa, Talopa, Gampopa, Naropa, Melarepa, and then the Karmapa, and then all of the Karmapas to the present day Karmapa. and It's just like the, we have the 14th Dalai Lama, we're on the 17th Karmapa. So it's an unbroken lineage all the way, right? And his heart sons, we call them, all the way down to, for me personally and to her, all the way down to our teachers, right? All the way down. But they're all male. Right. other than some, some like Tara and whatnot, some actual deities so this is kind of what they were up against you know. so at that point in time Tintan Palmo said I vow from this day forward I'm never going to take a male form until I'm enlightened I do not want your male body I I will reach enlightenment as a female, that's it and she's probably enlightened, but they can't, they can't say it anyone. They, they can't say it. they break the vows. If you say, once you take vows, you cannot reveal any of your insights. If you look at the Dalai Lama, anyone who comes, they say, I'm a normal person, I have no realizations. It actually breaks their vows, if they say they have any realization at all. So always remember that when you're in front of a, a Lama or anything, they'll always say, I have no realization. They'll, they'll break their vows. So, Tenzin Pamo went on and received all the teachings. He was one of the first ever. And the, and the Karmapa, it was the 16th Karmapa at the time, we're on the 17th Karmapa. The 16th Karmapa gave her the full ordination. And he said, now, he said, now look at, he whispered to her, he said, like you're the first one, but there's going to be many, many, many behind you at all costs. Like never break your samayas, which is like your devotion, your your um, your rules between you and your guru, and never lose your ordination. Like do not ever undo what is done. So stay it done your whole life. What saying? To be that example, like do always stay this way. And she really took that to heart, and then she was able to go into retreat. And she spent 12 years in the Himalayas in a cave in retreat. And she survived weather just unbelievable. You have to read the book. It's just incredible. But she survived like 30 below temperatures up there. And she was taught Tumo by the, uh, Tumo is the practice of the inner heat, you know, so mm-hmm. but really, really incredible. Really incredible. So I thought we'd do a little meditation today on our personal female teachers in our lives. And it doesn't need to be spiritual teachers. It could be you know, our mothers. It could be a, a school teacher. It could be an aunt. It could be you know, a family friend but to internally recognize the female teachers in our lives, and then we'll do a little bit of sharing. But just maybe take a few minutes. Just coming into your heart and just allowing those, those teachers to come to mind. It could be more than one. And maybe diving into their unique qualities that made an impact on you, getting a felt sense. those qualities. And then if you feel inclined, send thankfulness to this person or persons, gratitude, love and wisdom. So luckily, um, since the 70s, Buddhism's come a long way. There's more work to do, but the Dalai Lama has been quoted as saying, the future of Buddhism lies on the back of the Western woman. Mm -hmm. And if you you look at the demographic of who is uh, studying, who's becoming ordained. Uh, who's teaching? I call it the eighty twenty. I've been, you know, meditating. Maybe, maybe many of you for like twenty five years, and and wherever I go, it's it's always eighty twenty women around spiritual openness, meditating. Right? We're really lucky today. I look around the room. We have actually it's fairly balanced. Many times I come in this room and it's like Rick and Tenzin, like you know, like a couple <laughs> couple guys holding it down, <laughs> you know, but. um, Living at the centers, eighty twenty. Mm. People I worked with, almost all all women. I'm not complaining, I'm just saying <laughs> eighty twenty. Like you know, so we look at like our our teachers. I mean, look at why we're here inside L.A. Trudy Goodman, Christiana Wolf, yeah. best best you know, Celeste, who's. So, yeah like it's pretty much a senior teacher at 30 something years old you know so this is who's teaching this is who's interested you know and and the important part is now we need to take advantage of that now we need to to listen to these teachers to the Sharon Salzbergs to uh, the Tara Brocks, and the Trudy Goodmans all, all these amazing teachers listen to them you know read their books I mean this is an amazing time we, we can't think like, oh, this is, oh, yeah, there's amazing female teachers. I mean, yeah, there's, this is, this is so we have to take full advantage of it. Like, for me, I think about getting the teachings of my teachers out, you know, building websites or getting them to come and visit and talk to you and all these things. Like, what can we do to actually take full advantage, have their voice be heard, whether in person, in books, really, really take advantage of it.